0: Chapter Twenty One of the Ghost Ship. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Ghost Ship by John Conrad Hutchison. Chapter Twenty One Butchered. Dios! exclaimed Colonel Vereker. Are you certain of this, sir? "'Captain Applegarth shrugged his shoulders. "'Ask Mr. Stokes here and your doctor there, Mr. O'Neill, "'whether they did not hear Haldane's yarn about your ship five days ago, sir, "'before we ever clapped eyes on you,' said he in a slightly aggrieved tone, "'as if he thought his word was being doubted. "'Why, Colonel, this poor lad was becoming the butt of everybody's chaff on board on account of it.' "'Gracious!' cried the other this is indeed really wonderful ay colonel and more than that but for the lad seeing this mirage or whatever else it was and telling me about it we would not have gone off our course in search of you to render what assistance we could yours being the ship in distress haldane reported having sighted to the southard this divergence from our track sir took us into the very teeth of the gale which we encountered later on that same evening and conduced to our breaking down faith put in garry o'neill that's true for sure sir this breakdown of ours colonel led to our drifting to the southard into the trail of the gulf stream continued the skipper following up the strange sequence of events as they occurred one by one your ship the real ship i mean was drifting north and east meanwhile carried along by the same current and then it came about that although apparently going in opposite directions and acted on by different causes our tracks crossed each other on the chart last night at least that is my opinion i see i see cried colonel dereker quickly interrupting him and in a state of great excitement thank god but for that you would never have sighted our drifting boat and picked up myself and poor captain alphonse thank god seor haldane saw us in that mysterious way it seems to have been an interposition of heaven to warn you of our peril and bring you to our aid just so colonel that's what i think myself now said the skipper impressively taking off his cap and looking upward with a grave reflective air "'And I thank God, too, for putting us "'in the way of helping you with all my heart, sir.' (sighs) "'Ah,' observed old Mr. Stokes, "'who had remained silent the while. "'The ways of Providence are as wonderful "'as they are mysterious.' "'There was a pause after this in our conversation "'which no one seemed anxious to break "'till Gary O'Neill spoke. Faith, sir, you haven't told us yet "'how you come by this wound in your leg "'and about that poor chap in yonder.' "'He said to the colonel, nodding his head in the direction of captain Applegarth's inner state cabin where the french captain was lying in his cot sure we're dying to hear the end of your scrimmage with those black divils colonel vereker heaved a sigh well i ought not to doubt that the good god is watching over my little darling daughter after what i have just learnt my friends said he in a more hopeful tone than his depressed manner indicated looking round at us with his large melancholy dark eyes i ought not to despair certainly not sir i dare say we'll soon overhaul the ship now for we're more than an hour and a half in chase of her at full speed remarked the skipper recovering himself from his fit of abstraction and looking at his watch to see the time go on colonel go on please and tell us the end of your story there is little more for you to hear sir replied the other settling himself back in the seat again after mr o'neill had once more dressed the wound in his leg before it was dark that terrible night i sent elsie below while captain alphonse with myself stayed up on the poop for the first watch each of us with a loaded revolver besides having a box of cartridges handy on the skylight near by should we want to replenish our ammunition but the Haitians, sir had evidently had enough of us for that evening making no further attempts to attack us as the hours wore on they were as watchful as ourselves though for as cato anon trying to creep forward so as to release the french sailors confined under the main hatchway had a narrow escape of his life a heavy spar being suddenly let down by the run almost on top of his head when he ventured out on the exposed deck this was at midnight when the second mate baster and don miguel with the French sailor Duval, relieved Captain Alphonse and me, taking the middle watch. Next morning, however, soon after Captain Alphonse and I, with the little Englishman, had resumed charge of the poop and the others were resting, alas, my friends, without my knowledge or sanction, poor Cato made another attempt to reach the hatchway, which unfortunately resulted in his death. Hearing Yvonne growl and my little daughter cry out as if something had frightened her, I had gone down to the cabin shortly after daylight to see what was the matter, cautioning Captain Alphonse, who hardly needed my caution, not to leave his post for a moment, and not thinking of Cato, who had disappeared from the top of the companionway and had gone below to Elsie, heard her cry, I thought, and gone to her even before myself. He was not in the cabin, however nor did i find anything much the matter with my child who had evidently unconsciously cried out in some dream she had ivan of course gushing in sympathy and waking her up so telling elsie to compose herself and go off to sleep again as everything was going on all right and there was nothing to be alarmed about beyond the snoring of monsieur and madame boisson at the further end of the cabin i feeling greatly relieved returned on deck I looked round for Cato at once, naturally, for our forces were not so strong that one would not be missed, especially such a one as he. But my faithful negro was nowhere in sight. Captain Alphonse said, too, he had not seen him during my absence below, nor indeed for some time prior to my going down to the cabin. I then searched the wheelhouse, aft, without discovering him. "'Cato,' I called out, "'where are you? Come here immediately.' my poor servant did not answer but that black fiend the pseudo marquis advanced from the fore part of the deck sheltering himself you may be sure from my aim in the rear of the windlass bits which were in a line between us you will have to call louder he cried with a mocking laugh like that of a hyena and full of devilish glee i assure you much louder my friend before that spy slave of yours will ever be able to answer you again heavens i feared the worst then poor cato they had caught him reconnoitering what have you done with him you son of satan i yelled out full of rage and anger and with a terrible foreboding if you have hurt a hair on his head i will make you pay dearly for it i can tell you you fiend the malicious murdering wretch only replied to my threat with another mocking laugh which his companions echoed as if enjoying a joke while i noticed them dragging at a shapeless mass from the forecastle forward kick the carrion aft i heard the inhuman brute say to his followers let the white trash see the dog's carcass he will then believe what i have said name of god and know what is in store for himself my god seor applegarth and you gentlemen i can hardly tell you what followed it is all too horrible. The sight of what I saw will haunt me to my grave, for that shapeless mass I had observed slowly raised itself up from the deck, and I saw that it was my poor Cato. The savages had hacked the unfortunate man to pieces with their knives. He recognized me, poor creature, and appeared to try to speak but only made an inarticulate noise between a sob and a groan that rings in my ears now, while the blood gushed from his mouth as he fell forwards, facing me, dead, huddled up in a heap again upon the deck. Those devils incarnate, besides mutilating his limbs, had, would you believe it, cut out his tongue, as they had before threatened. "'for warning us of their treachery.' God in heaven!' exclaimed Captain Applegar, "'stopping in his quick walk up and down the saloon, and, "'and bringing his fist down on the table with a bang "'that made the glasses in the swinging tray above jump and rattle, Two of them indeed falling over and smashing into fragments on the floor. "'The infernal demons! Can such things be? It is dreadful!' "'All of us were equally horror-stricken and indignant "'at the Colonel's terrible recital.' Even old Mr. Stokes, waking up and stretching out his hand to the skipper, as if pledging himself to what he wished to urge before he spoke. "'Horrible! Horrible, sir!' he panted out, his anger taking away his breath and affecting his voice. "'But we'll avenge the poor fellow and kill the rascals when we come up with them, won't we, sir? There's my hand on it, anyway.' "'I did not, and could not say anything, no. I couldn't. "'but you can pretty well imagine the oath I mentally registered.' "'Not so. "'Gary O'Neil, though. "'The Irishman's face flamed with rage and anger. "'Killed him, sir!' cried he, "'springing to his feet from the chair "'in which he had been seated alongside the colonel, "'whose injured limb he had been carefully attending to, "'again all the while, "'his reddish beard and moustache bristling, "'and his steel-blue eyes flashing out veritable sparks. "'It seemed to fire. <laughs> Killin's too good for em sure, the heathen miscreants I, I, I'd boil em alive, sir, or roast em in the Stoke hold if I had me own way with em. I would, sir, so help me Moses, if all the holy saints whose names be praised, and the blessed old Pope too prayed for me to spare 'em. Ah The murder and basts, the demons, the devils he was almost beside himself in his rage and passionate invective so much so indeed that mr stokes despite his own hearty sympathy with the like cause looked at the infuriated irishman in great trepidation for his face was flushed and his hair seemed actually to stand on end while his words tumbled out of his mouth pell-mell jostling each other in their eagerness to find utterance the chief really fancied i believe that he had suddenly gone mad as he literally fumed with fury. After a few moments, however, Garry cooled down a bit, restraining himself by a violent effort, and he turned to his willow patient with an apologetic air. "'Face, sir, I fancied I had that divil yer friend of Marcus sure by the throat,' said he, with a feeble attempt at a grin, and biting his lips to keep in his feelings while he dropped his arms, which he had been whirling round his head like a maniac only just before by the powers wouldn't i throttle the beast sweetly if i had hold of him once in these two hands of mine colonel vereker stretched out both his impulsively and gripped those of garry o'neill heavens he cried with tears in his eyes you are a white man sir i can't say more than that and i am proud to know you "'Never mind that, Colonel,' said the Irishman, putting aside the compliment, the highest the Colonel thought he could give. "'Tell us what you did, sure, after the poor maimed creature was murdered by that Haitian devil. Faith, I loathe the beast. I hate him like poison. Though I haven't seen him yet, more's the pity. But it'll be a bad job for him when I do clap peepers on him.' "'I could not do much,' said the other, proceeding with his account of the struggle with the mutineers on board the Saint-Pierre. But Captain Alphonse and myself emptied our revolvers at the scoundrels and floored three of them before they retreated back into the forecastle. But the Marquis, the greatest scoundrel of the whole lot, escaped scot-free, though I fired four shots at him, point-blank, as he dodged behind the mainmast and windlass bits, Keeping well under cover and mocking my efforts to get a straight aim, the villain I think bears a charmed life. Never you fear, sir. Put in Garry in answer to this remark. His father, old Nick, is keeping him for something warm when I get a hold of him. <laughs> Face, sir, you can bet your boots on that, sure. Colonel Vereker smiled sadly at the impulsive Irishman's remark. He could see that he had moved every fiber of his feeling heart and warm nature, and that he was following every incident of his terrible story of atrocities and sufferings with an all-engrossing interest. "'I rushed to the poop-ladder to make for the mocking-brute, intending to grip him by the neck, as you have suggested, sir,' said he, "'when, by heavens, I would have choked the life out of his vile carcass. But Captain Alphonse prevented me. "'My God, dear friend!' he cried, "'catching hold of me round the body in his powerful arms, "'so that I could not move a step. "'Remember the little one, your little daughter, "'who would have no one to protect her "'should these rabble kill you. "'Besides, my friend, the good Cato is dead now, "'and the useless sacrifice of your life, "'of both our lives, probably, if you go forwards, "'and perhaps too the life of the little one, "'who cannot even help herself, "'will never bring back the breath to the brave lad's body. No. No, Colonel, I promise you, said he, at the same time kissing the tips of his fingers and elevating his shoulders in his French fashion. We will do something better than that. Only wait. Be patient. We will avenge him, you will see. But I pray you do nothing rash for the sake of the little one. End of chapter 21